Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Great to see you. Thanks for coming out on this sunshiny morning <laughs> in Garrett County. Well, last week we kicked off a new series for a new year that we're calling From the Inside Out. And here's, here's kind of the idea behind this series. You see, all of us have things in our lives that we would like to change. We tell ourselves, this year, this year, I'm finally going to get in shape. Can somebody say amen? amen. Somebody else says round is a shape. Can you say amen louder? Amen. This year, I'm finally going to get my finances in order. This year, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to do that, you know, Bible in a year. How many folks are doing that Bible in a year? Let me tell you, I'm doing that. It's tough when you're in Leviticus. I never knew there were so many ways to kill an animal until I read the book of Leviticus. It's some tough reading right now, but keep on reading, keep on reading, and thank God that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who died for us, and we don't have to do animal sacrifices anymore. Can somebody say amen? Amen, amen. This year, I'm going to deal with my anger issues. That's what I'm praying for for my wife. Um, this year, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff, but I'm also going to stop a bunch of stuff. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to stop doing that. And what we do is we reach down deep on the inside of us and we muster up all the willpower we can. But then Google tells us that within about a month, we're done. We give up. We're out of there like Antonio Brown in the third quarter. <laughs> See ya. Why, though? Why? I mean, how come we can start the year with such fire, but within a short time, like our passion, just, it, it just burns out. It's just gone. Our passion for change fades so quickly. I believe that one of, the, one of the reasons that our best intentions often fade so fast is that we are trying to change ourselves by ourselves. We're trying to force change from the outside in. What we do is we place a set of rules around our lives thinking that the rules themselves can change us, but they can't. You see, much of the Bible has this underlying theme in it, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, showing us that outside rules, or what the Bible might call the law, is powerless to change us because the law works through our flesh, and our flesh is weak. And in fact, Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul writes Romans chapter 7, and in this chapter, he uses some of the most raw and descriptive language in all of Scripture, and, and he describes the struggle that we all deal with, trying to change ourselves from the outside in. Let's look at Romans 7 together. In verse 15, and as we read this, I, as, as, I'm going to read through it, but I want you to ask yourself, do I... Do I relate to Paul? Do I see myself in this passage at all? Paul says this, For what I'm doing, I do not understand. There's some things about myself that I don't even understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. 
Can anybody relate to Paul's struggle? He says, I, I know what's good. I know what's right. And there's a part of me that I, I want to do that. But I don't know what's going on inside me. I don't even understand myself. The thing that I know not to do, the choice that I know not to make, often I find myself practicing that. What's wrong with me? Verse 20. He says, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. He's talking about his spirit. You and I are a three-part being. We are a spirit. We have a soul. And those, that spirit and soul lives in a body. We are a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. And Paul says, there's a part of me in my spirit, my inward man, that I, I want to do the right thing. Like, like things like love and joy and peace and goodness and long-suffering and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Those things sound good to parts of me, but, but then there's a part of me that, that wars against those things. Verse 23. But I see another law in my members, my flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law which is in my members. And then verse 24, he asked this question, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Yikes. Again, Paul's using some really, really descriptive, raw language here to describe a war that every single one of us has experienced. It's the war within. It's the battle between flesh and spirit. It's like that old cartoon, I think we've got a picture here, of the devil sitting on one shoulder and an angel sitting on the other shoulder, whispering in, in, in Mr. Simpson's ear there. It's, it's like that battle, back and forth and back and forth. We, we can have the best intentions and we know exactly what choice we should make, but then our flesh rises up and wars with our spirit and we end up choosing the thing that we know is not good for us. Why do we continually find ourselves in this war? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good clue, a major clue in verse 18. Let's look back at it for a second. Paul says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Now let's unpack that a little bit. When the Bible talks about our flesh, and it's talking about it in a, with a negative connotation, it's not saying that our skin and bones are evil. Our bodies are gifts from God and should be treated as such. Can you say amen to that? But when the Bible uses this term flesh, it is talking about our inward bent or propensity towards sin that every single one of us has been born with. If you've, uh, if you've ever had a baby, there are times that you are so in love with that baby that you will just gaze on that baby and you'll just think, he's perfect. She is perfection. And you just look at that baby and you, 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 you take your, your finger maybe and just caress its face. Take your finger and go down its little finger, its little toes, and you just look and you just go, God, I don't even understand how you used me to help create something so beautiful. Those are precious moments. But here's what I know about those precious moments. They almost always occur 
when the baby's sleeping. Come on, somebody. Right? That's, what, that's, when they, that's when they occur because as a parent, it will not take you long to realize that your son or your daughter, mm, they're not perfect. And some people say, oh, yeah, I realized my child wasn't perfect when the first word out of their mouth was no. Right? You never have to teach a child to say no. It just comes naturally. You don't have to teach a child to be disobedient. It just comes naturally. But I contend that you don't even have to wait until that baby can speak its first words to know there's something wrong with the kid. Right? Because just within the few, first few weeks of life, babies instinctively know when you're comfortable. And when you're comfortable, they're not. When you're comfortable, they begin to cry. Have you, has anyone else noticed this? Like you could be holding that baby using the same position, the same arms, but somehow that three-week-old baby can discern whether you're sitting in a comfy chair or standing on a hard floor. And for some reason, the baby prefers that you stand on the hard floor. And the second you sit down, that perfect little bundle of joy will start screaming like you stuck it with a safety pin. And here's what I don't understand. I look at the baby. I say, baby, what difference does it make to you whether I'm standing or sitting? I'm using the same cradle hold, right? I'm singing the same lullaby. They're the same arms, whether I'm standing up or I got myself a little bit of comfort. But somehow that six-pound baby knows. And you know what that six-pound baby will do? That six-pound baby will scream until it gets you, a full-grown adult, to get back out of your chair at 3 in the morning. And if the baby wants you to bounce, you bounce. And if the baby wants you to pace, you pace. And if the baby wants you to just stand there in your bare feet on your hard kitchen floor and it's cold and it's 3 a.m., baby don't care. You know why? Because that baby is a sinner. It is. That, 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 that being that you thought was perfect when it was sleeping. You thought God used you to help create perfection. No, he didn't. God used you to help create a sinner. I'm kidding. Kind of. No, I'm not kidding. No, there's no, there's no kidding about that. It doesn't take you long to realize there's something wrong with your kids. In fact, I ran across some pictures this week, and it just illustrates there's something wrong with our kids. Look at some of these pictures here. These are kids throwing a fit. Like this baby down here. We wouldn't let him swim in the sea. Why? He can't swim, and it's six degrees. But he's, he's throwing a fit. Next. I wouldn't let him eat a battery for breakfast. He's crying. He's upset. She wanted ravioli for dinner. I made ravioli for dinner. She didn't want ravioli for dinner. Come on, moms and dads. She's throwing a fit. How about this one? He wants to get on the bus. Problem is the bus is on TV. What else we got here? I told him he had to stop biting the cat. It's fair. That's reasonable. Won't let her throw, <laughs> throw books in my face. And she's throwing a fit. Won't let him eat the cat's food. The cat keeps coming up over and over again. We have anywhere. That's it. All right. So we can look at our kids and we can say there's something wrong with our kids. We know that. But here's the problem. There ain't just something wrong with our kids. There's something wrong with us. Amen. Right? We can see the war in our kids. Like our kids know the right thing to do, but then they don't do it. And you ask them why. And they look at you and they go, I don't know. And we think they're lying. No, the thing is, they actually don't know. They're bent. 
They have a propensity towards sin. And we can see it in our kids, but folks, we produced them. We're, we're part of the problem. We took the nature we had and we passed it down to our kids. Here's the deal. We have a war going on inside of us. They have a war going on inside of them. We have our own wars to fight. And Paul says, if we rely on flesh to defeat flesh, we'll fail every time. If we just try to change ourselves by using sheer willpower, we'll fail every time. Uh, I want to do a little illustration here. We got a couple of volunteers in the back. Come on up to the platform. And I want to read this scripture here again. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, Paul says, who will deliver me? from this body of death. Who will deliver me from this body of death? What is he talking about, this body of death? Well, in, in Bible times, the Romans ruled in this time, and they came up with a method of capital punishment. And here's what Paul's talking about. He's, he's likening our war within to, to capital punishment. Okay, thank you guys for showing up. Now, Here's what, here's what happened, okay? Uh, who's the stronger of the two of you? <laughs> Ricky's, okay, I don't know. I mean, you can't tell now. Kids nowadays, we don't know. Here's what would happen. But say, let's say, I know you would never do this because you're a godly man, but let's say you killed him, okay? Here's what the Romans came up with. The Romans says, if you're a murderer, what we would do is we would actually chain your dead body to Ricky, okay? And then we said, Ricky, you can go anywhere you want, but you got to take this dead body with you. Now, you can't drag dead weight. So what they would do is they would actually take the dead body and put it on his back like a piggyback ride. Could you guys do that today? All right. All right. Just go ahead and hop on there. Oh, well, well, okay. All right. And so remember, you're dead, so you need to put your head down. Yes, yes. All right, you're dead. And, and your last meal was full of onions. Okay. And so what would happen is, is you go ahead and just walk around. Just go ahead and walk around. Well, what would happen is, as Ricky's going about his life with this dead body on him, the body begins to decompose. The body begins to rot. Somebody say gross. The stench was overwhelming. Eventually something, some disease or something would get on Ricky and then he would just, he would probably end up dying because he has, he's been bearing the brunt of his guilt. He's been punished in this horrific way. Ricky, are you all right? Is he, is he, what do you think he weighs? 140. He knows, he knows exactly. And so this is what would happen. So when Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what he's talking about. He's like, this is, this is my sentence. When I'm depending on the strength of my flesh to change my flesh, it's like taking a dead body, putting it on me dead weight, and I got to carry it around for the rest of my life. How many of you say that would wear you out? How many thinks Ricky's getting tired at the moment? Will you give them a big hand today for being, uh, being our actors? Great job. Great job. You can wake up now. Thank you, guys. Thank you, God. What is he saying? He's saying flesh can't change by flesh. Flesh only changes by the working of the Holy Spirit. You might say, okay, Pastor Dave, we're awful people with no hope of curing ourselves. <laughs> Got it. What's the answer? Well, the answer is actually found in the question. Look back at verse 24 again. O wretched man that I am, who? Everyone will say who. Everyone say who. Who. He did not say what. He said, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul knew 
that the answer to the war within us was not a formula. It wasn't a new strategy. It wasn't a new 10-point plan to victory. Paul knew that he did not need a new supplement. He didn't need a new vitamin regimen. He needed a who. He needed a person. And then he answers his own question in verse 25. Look at verse 25. After verse 24 says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25 says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's our answer. Our answer to change, our answer to transforming our life is not to work smarter, it's not to try harder, it's not to perform better. Our answer is the person of Jesus Christ. And what Paul was trying to show us in Romans chapter 7 is exactly what Jesus himself taught in John 15. Let's jump over there for a minute. John 15, look at the words of Jesus in verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes Uh, that it may bear more fruit. Everybody say more fruit. What's God's desire for our lives? Is that we would bear more fruit. If you and I are going throughout our day and we feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit telling us, hey, you probably need, you probably need to change your attitude a little bit. Kind of had a bad attitude. Gary, is it ever, you ever deal with that? Doris, does she ever deal with that? Okay, or she deals with that. What, what is that? What is that? That's, that's the person of the Holy Spirit convicting our hearts so that we can bear more fruit. If, you, if you're going throughout your day and you hear, you hear hey, hey, you ought to forgive that person. You ought to forgive that person. We were in youth group Wednesday night, and we're in a small group time, and, and we're going around, and we're talking about some things that we've read in the Bible, but they're hard for us to actually put into practice. And I was in the group with, with teenage boys. Do you know what a lot of them said? Forgiving our enemies. They ain't the only ones who struggle with that, are they? We all struggle with that. It's something we've read in the Bible, but we haven't put into practice. And when we feel that tug or we feel that nudge, that's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I want you to bear the fruit of forgiveness. Maybe you hear, hey, you probably shouldn't visit that website. Every time you visit that website, it takes your mind down a bad road. You get in a dark place. You probably shouldn't do that. What? Who's that? It's the person of Jesus living on the inside of us. Hey, you should probably show some more grace to your spouse, your kids, your coworkers. You probably give them some grace. You don't don't, don't know what's going on in their heart and in their mind. Maybe you ought to give them some grace. Do you know what that is? That's God the gardener. And he's doing some pruning, not because we're awful and worthless people, but but because we can be better. You see, our lives already have some good fruit in them, but God wants us to bear more fruit. And he loves us so much that God the Father becomes God the gardener. And he cuts things off of our lives that are hurting us, not as a punishment, but so that we can bear more fruit. His pruning is proof of his love. His pruning is proof of his love. Look at what Jesus says in verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Jesus says, you're not trying to earn your own. You don't have to earn your own way. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix yourself up. You're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. 
But I just want you to keep bearing fruit. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then he says this, for without me you can do what? Nothing. Now the shout of our culture today is, I can do all things. I can be whatever I want to be. That's the shout of our culture. But the truth of Jesus is, without me, you can do nothing. Wow, Jesus, that doesn't do much for my self-esteem. Do you know Jesus is not actually interested in building esteem in self? Self is our problem. Self is what gets us into trouble. Dave Ramsey says, the guy who causes the most problem in my life is the guy I shave with every morning. Come on, somebody. We're the problem. Jesus is not interested in building our esteem and self. He is interested in building our identity in him. This is what we're getting at when he says, you know what? You want to see good fruit in your lives? Then you need to get your identity right because fruit flows from identity. Fruit flows from identity. We tend to think that fruit flows from performance. Just going to do better, going to work harder, be smarter. We tend to think that fruit flows from willpower. You know what? This is January. This is the beginning of the year. I'm going to kill this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to rock this thing. This is my year, new me, new new year, all this stuff, right? We, We get excited and pumped up in willpower. We tend to think that fruit flows from a 10-point plan to victory. But truth is this, fruit flows from identity. He is the vine. We are a branch. The branch on its own produces no good fruit. The only way we see good fruit in our lives is when we abide, or that word means remain attached to the vine. This is a series on discipleship. It's a teaching us how to become more like Jesus from the inside out. And the way we experience a transformed life is by abiding moment by moment fellowship with God. I'm a pastor. You know that I make my living by serving God and trying to serve others. But I know I can be honest with you. There are some days that entire blocks of my day go by without any fellowship with Jesus. My mind wanders. Anyone else? My thoughts, they, they drift. I get distracted. My flesh rises up and demands my attention. And before long, without even realizing it, it's been hours since I have taken a drink of the living water. Half my day can go by and I realize, wait a minute. No wonder I got no joy. No, no wonder I got no peace. No wonder I can't seem to find any self-control. I'm not the vine. I'm just a branch. And if there's going to be any good fruit in me, I need to remain attached to Jesus, the vine. I'm not saying that Jesus comes and goes. I do. In my mind, I, I drift. I often neglect my relationship with him. And when I do, my flesh rises up and I notice there is a lack of good fruit in my life. He said, if we're to abide in him, he'll produce his fruit within us. So how do we do that? How do we abide in him? 
Now, here's the danger. I want to make this message practical, and I want to give you a few practical steps. But if we're not careful, we'll take the practical steps and turn it into a law. We'll take the practical steps and turn it into a formula and say, the way I'm going to change is I'm going to follow this formula. We don't want to take abiding and turn it into a formula. So since fruit flows out of identity, let's get our identity right to begin with. If we want to abide in Christ from a place of identity, here's our identity. If you're saved today, then you are already a child of God. He's all, if you're saved today, do you know what? He's already pleased with you. God could be pleased with me. Yes, God could be pleased with you. So much so that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place, to cleanse you of your past, to take his righteousness and put it on you. And he took your sin. You are born again. You're a child of the most high God. God is pleased with you. You're not working to please him. You are working from a place of relationship. You're already there. There's a big, big difference. So here's what I want to just suggest is a few practical steps of how, how, how do we abide? How do we remain attached to Christ? Well, start your day with some type of spiritual nourishment. Some type. Prayer. Worship. Scripture. Devotional. Something to set your mind on God. I know that God is everywhere all the time. I know his presence never leaves us. But if we are to abide in him, we have to be intentional about setting our mind on the things of God. I don't know about you. Sometimes I wake up and my mind is set on God. But my default position is my mind is set on what I got to do for the day. My mind is set on coffee. My mind is set on, I can't believe it's already time to get up. Uh, my mind is set on, I can't believe it's so cold. My mind is set on, I can't believe the kids are so loud. My mind is set on, I can't believe the dog's up already. My mind is set on a bunch of different things. So I have to intentionally, Colossians 3 verse 2, set my mind on things above. Now, I'm fairly decent at setting my mind in the morning. I'm pretty faithful to before I fall asleep at night to reset my mind. Okay, my mom taught me that, you know, bedtime prayers, have a few minutes with God. And so before I drift off to sleep, I'm, I'm touching base, base with God. I'm resetting my mind. But let me tell you where I fail. It's about somewhere around one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, once the stress of the day has set in and this didn't go right and that didn't go right and I can't believe that person did this and oh my goodness, this family's now going through this. What in the world is wrong with that? I, somewhere in the middle of the day, I need to reset. Set your mind in the morning. Reset your mind at night. But somewhere in the middle of the day, I need to reset. I, uh, I read this book about monks one time and, and I'm not suggesting we all become monks, okay? But they had something that they called daily office. Daily office three times a day. And it was literally like they set an appointment with God three times a day because they knew if they didn't that their mind would just drift. And so in the morning, they had some time with God. Somewhere in the middle of the afternoon, they had a daily office, an appointment with God. And then in the evening, they had another appointment with God. It was, it's one thing to set your mind. It's another thing to reset your mind. How many would say, sometimes I just need a reset? Four of us. Awesome. We're growing. We are growing. 
All right, here's another one. Fellowship, or, or let me say scripture, reading or even listening to the Bible. I know a lot of us are doing Bible through a year. If you're not a reader, if you don't enjoy reading, get the Bible app on your phone, version Bible app on your phone. It will read the scriptures to you. You pull up the, the year in a Bible plan, you hit start, and every day it's going to read you the scriptures. It takes about 12 minutes a day to read the Bible through in a year. I know some of us are very, very busy, but all of us have 12 minutes. Can you say amen? Okay? So, I mean, it'll, it'll even do that for you. Get the word of God in you. Here's another way we, we, we abide. Fellowship. Church is a huge one. Okay? Church is a huge one. If you're a born-again believer, you need to be a part of a church that attends, serves, and supports your church. All right? We love you, and we're glad that you're here, but we want to see you get plugged in and fully engaged. We have something called a serve card. They're usually in the seat back in front of you, or we should have them out of the welcome counter. If you're not engaged here, and this is your church, we want to encourage you, sign up to serve in some way. It will make a huge difference. It's not just so we can, you know, have a clean church or make sure kids are taken care of. It will make a huge difference in your life. Because here's what I know. If you are moving forward spiritually, if there's good fruit being produced in your life, you have surrounded yourself with a group of people who are sowing into your future. They're walking in the same direction as you. There is a group of people who are contributing to your spiritual growth. The opposite is also true. If you're backsliding, you ain't doing it by yourself. I guarantee there are some people in your life that are contributing to your spiritual neglect are taking you backwards. So one of the greatest ways to abide in Christ is to fellowship in your local church and outside in a small group of some sort where you are growing. Here's another thing, obedience, obedience. If we want to abide in Christ throughout our day, when God prompts us to do something, do it. Like if he says, make that phone call, make that phone call. If, if he says, send that email or send that text or, or, or do that task or do a display of generosity, help somebody pay for somebody's meal, and help somebody at work. Maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's not in your job description, but you see they spilled stuff all over the place. Hop in there and help them. When God prompts you to do things, do it. Remember some of the truths that we're uncovering during this series. The Holy Spirit is an actual person who lives within us. Therefore, he's going to speak to us. He's going to prompt us to do or say certain things. And when he does, if we want to bear good fruit, we must obey him. There are blessings that come with obedience. Here's our takeaway today. Fruit is the product of relationship. We can't change ourselves by ourselves. We can't transform ourselves. I don't care how good your program is. I don't care how disciplined you think you are. Even if you can chisel your abs, you can't do a thing about your own heart. Only God can do that. And so when we embrace him, that's when life changes from the inside out. How do we do that? How do we embrace him? How do we abide? How do we set our minds? Prayer, fellowship, worship, scripture obedience. Will you stand with us? Jason's going to lead us in one more song. And here's what I want to encourage you to do.
just this morning, don't just sing the words that are on a screen, but take a couple of moments and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying today to me through this message? What are you saying today to me through these scriptures? We looked at two passages of scriptures, Romans 7 and John 15. Paul talked about the war within. We want to do certain things and we don't do those. And the things we don't want to do, we end up doing those. And then Jesus followed it up and he said, listen, I'm the vine. You're just a branch. If you want life transformation, if you want to bear good fruit in your life, you have to abide in me moment by moment fellowship every day of your life. Let's bow our heads today. Holy Spirit, we ask you, what are you saying today to each of us through your word? Speak to us, Father.